Welcome to the Youthscape podcast, the podcast for Christians who work with young people. you're listening to the Youthscape podcast with me, Martin Saunders, and as ever, Rachel Gardner, the ravishing Rachel Gardner, I believe, I on think, a previous I episode, you described yourself. Her. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, Rachel, how are you? Yes, no, I'm, I am doing really good, actually. I'm, I've, um, wearing yeah, a I'm suit feeling, today. I am wearing a suit, a pinstripe suit and boots. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Just your, your fashion choices are always uh, yeah. extraordinary, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I find it very difficult when I, because um, last night I stayed over in Luton. And I, yesterday I was like, how do I know what I'm going to want to wear <laughs> on Tuesday? As we talk about a lot, I'm always like a little bit of costume jewellery away from looking like somebody out of a Victorian novel. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes. But I'm, en- I'm enjoying being here. I'm enjoying this season. And I, I think it feels like we're talking about the things that, that feel long enough like in the horizon that I find it's quite helpful for us to think ahead because sometimes we're just head down getting on with what's happening this week who's on the team who's volunteering who's doing the the, the food who's doing the icebreaker it's really good to have those long visions but to do it safely with friends because it can feel quite big and overwhelming so I'm loving this well uh I've felt quite overwhelmed recently because I moved house that is, isn't that on the scale of like things that overwhelm? That is, is yeah. that still number one? I think it's a relationship divorce, breakup. Yeah, yeah, divorce okay. and moving house are okay. the two most stressful things you can do. Yeah. Um, and one sometimes can lead to the other. So oh, for, fortunately not. Not in this case. But okay. um, yeah, it, it was stressful. Yeah, My yeah, goodness. yeah. We had one of those things where it was it was fine, and I made the mistake of telling everyone, "Oh, it's been it's actually been fine." And then it literally all nearly fell apart in the last two weeks. Oh. You know, it was it was touch and go, and you're so invested at that point. You try and you try not to be, but you're invested emotionally. You're in, invested actually so much financially, but because of the way the sort of system yes, works in this country, yeah. that you can you can invest huge amounts of money in a move, and then it all falls apart. Yeah, and you lose, you, you just it. lose it all. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, that didn't happen, and we moved house. So we we we've moved a mile up the road. Fantastic! Actually, out of um out of the centre of a of a town that I've lived in for fourteen years, Rygate, and into the I mean, it's not really suburbs of a town. The surrounding bit, the surrounding of bits. the town, is just a bit further away. So it was, you know, uh, I I have to say this the lot we met, we're talking about my overwhelm a lot in this uh this series. I don't know good. why I've become good. the mouthpiece for youth ministry overwhelm, but um <laughs> but I did I. I had an hour in the new house before my wife arrived because she had a work meeting she couldn't get out of. And I sat there and I did have that, you know, they call it buyer's remorse. Oh. Where you're like, what have I done? Because we we, we yes. decorated our house. It was nice. Yes. And everything was. And then you go into a new space. I knew where my pants were. You knew where your pants were. And, That's and always important. for the first important. couple of days in the new house, I'll be honest with you, I couldn't find my pants. So you were turning them inside out, oh, upside down. No, I, I, Multi-use. Oh, I don't want to tell you what I did, but no, it was difficult. It was challenging and, for everyone involved. And basically, I felt completely, I was like, what have we done? We've moved into this beautiful, yes, lovely old lady's house. Um, but, you know, she had very much, it was very much of its time. Yes. So it was very, very new and fresh in, in an earlier period. But probably does need a little bit of modernization and bring up to speed. So you didn't so. line up all the young people that you've ever worked with for the mile between your old house and new house, just like pass stuff along. Well, that's a good idea. That's really beautiful I, I did think about is it, and I, I bet there are some people listening who've done this, is it an abuse of power 
to hold like a sort of youth event at your house, which is like a paint party. Let's have fun decorating. Is that, is that okay? You would give young people paintbrushes okay. and paint. But annoyingly, I've just stopped doing youth work yeah. as discussed. So I couldn't do that. So I had to just do it myself. But that's the overwhelm as well, isn't it? Because people do want to help if, you, if you're from a lovely community. Yeah. But you want to know where stuff is. Because the whole problem with moving is that you don't know where anything is. So other people coming in also getting involved with that is not all that helpful, is it? So, I, I mean, this is this is maybe it's like a complete control freak. But when lovely friends came to get all, when we moved to the, into the vicarage and they got all the stuff and put it all out in the kitchen, I'm not a domestic goddess. I don't, I don't do much baking. I stick pieces in ovens. But even for me I was like no I need to put things in cupboards so I know where stuff is yeah there's a metaphor there isn't there because what we're looking at in this season is big things on the horizon and we're working out have we got any tools in oh, our boxes look like at that it, but it's a genuine thing like am I I think the overwhelming question for me is am I equipped to lead in a world like this and you know that would be a great segue into today's interview, but the story I have to tell oh, unfortunately is too funny, so I'm just going to have to take us out of sequence. No, do it. So, um, so I I have to say we've made a bad start with the neighbours. So we, <gasps> we moved in, you know, out of a road that was all kind of families, and we've moved into. They're not really listening to this, are they? But you know, definitely people at a sort of retirement age. Oh, so you know, you and your four kids, and they—they're very excited about their gardens. Um, and it's a very quiet road. It's a mm. cul-de-sac. It's off. You know, it's not really. It's not on the main kind of road like the old house was. Um, and so I—I I made a bit of a noise on the first couple of days. You know, we had lots of moving trucks and and things like that. And you know, there were a few curtains twitching. You imagine the sort of. Oh, no, the it's, a, it's definitely a neighbourhood oh, watch area. No. And, and now I'm just aware there's definitely uh, a WhatsApp group that I'm not in, oh which is no. I, I definitely true in other areas of my life as well. But um, there, there's definitely a WhatsApp group. And, and I made a killer mistake. So we'd been there three days. And then late at night, I thought, oh, my goodness. I got the bins got, out. No, no, no. <laughs> Long-term listeners will be rewarded yes. uh, for listening if they hear that joke. But no, I thought, I thought oh, I... I could use, so I had uh, Joel's 18th birthday barbecue for the family coming <gasps> up. And I thought, I know what we'll do. I will do a Tesco order and then have all the food delivered. Yes. Other supermarkets are available. And I, the only slot I could get, the only slot I could get was six in the morning on Sunday. <gasps> and so I didn't visualize it. I didn't imagine what it was, but of course I woke up. I set an alarm because I thought I don't, you know, I don't want to make noise. Six o'clock in the morning. Beep, I crept downstairs. Beep, beep, beep. Oh yeah, all of that. Yeah. <sighs> all right, mate. All right. Exactly. And oh, and, no. and and I saw light after light go oh, on in all no. the houses around the road. And this is like the worst possible first impression. I bet no. that WhatsApp group was not it was lit. It was up. lit up, exactly. They're they're these people, these yeah. new people. Who do they think they're they not, are? They're not they our kinds understand. of people. Not our kinds of people. Who's like go, Jeffrey, you go and sort about Jeffrey. Yeah. I will I will talk to them. I will talk to him. He looks approachable. No, I'll talk to her. She looks more approachable. Yeah. That's what they're talking about. They are. They are. So I got a, a Tesco's delivery at six in the morning and it was it was so loud. It oh, was so loud. No. So, that, that that slot, I mean, even in very busy 
urban centres, 6am on a Sunday morning is yeah. quiet, isn't it? Antisocial, I think Oof. is the word. And that's what, that's what I've been dubbed. Overwhelming. So yeah, so yes, it is overwhelming. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, take us back to your segue. Martin, what you're doing is you and your family are trying to work out a new humanity in this new space. Like, And the interesting thing is they are, their big fear is... It's 6am on a Sunday. It's a pattern. Oh, that's yes. what they're all thinking. You're right. They're always going to do this. But that's what we do. What yeah. we do is we don't think someone has said one thing. We say, oh, they always say that yeah. or they always do that. And so we do look at big things on the horizon and think, oh my goodness, it, from now on, it's always yeah. going to be this. Yeah. And that is a bit of a, a it's distressing. But um, thank you for sharing about yourself personally. Because <laughs> I, I do talk with our guest today about how we ourselves are doing as leaders and i guess it's worth saying that as well as the big stuff on the horizon that we talk about we are being we are in being influenced and mm. stressed out by the everyday minutia of our lives yeah like, and I, I i don't know whether i'm allowed to talk about the menopause in this but i do maybe think maybe it's time maybe it's time because i do think that that has absolutely added to my overwhelm right the feeling of Actually, am I go- am I moving into menopause? And and I don't want. To, I mean, don't turn this off now. Everyone thinking, blah, blah. but I but I do think that our lives change, and whether that's a hormonal thing because of different age or stage of your life, or your relationships, or your caring responsibilities, or your financial responsibilities. That of course that is going to impact how you show up in young people's lives. Mm. And for me at the moment, I do feel like I'm going through a bit of a hormonal overhaul. And I'm, so we talked about this yeah. in a previous, your, your, your two book, your new book, Menopause and the Awe of God. <laughs> yes. And, Holy crap. Just, just, just unpack it a little bit for those of us in the room, perhaps, who aren't fully aware of what that all means. Because I'll be, I'll be honest with you, I'm yeah. not, I've not, I'm not, my, my wife's not quite reached that point yet. So no, I'd just I, love you to explain yeah. a little bit. Well, I think your body changes over time. And I think the female body goes through a particular kind of cycle of changes and particularly towards the end of your menstrual cycle. So menopause is the moment in your life that happens 12 months after your final period. And I think we live in a society where we don't, we, for all that we talk loads about bodies and sex and sexuality and desire, we don't really talk about the different stages of life. And no. it's great that we're talking about prostate cancer now and just that we are talking about the fact we have these fabulous bodies that go through changes. Mm. So I, I am very keen to talk about menopause in a very real way, but not in a derogatory, this is it, now you're done. This is, yeah. a, this is a, a God, just as cr- puberty is a God creation, menopause is a God creation. So that we, there, there is something about menopause that is deeply, profoundly beautiful and about God's wonder and his glory. But it also is a space that is, I think, for many, many women it's very difficult to cope with because your body does go through major hormonal changes. You, um, it can affect <laughs> like brain fog is something that talked about. A number of women talk about just you know, just losing track of what they're saying. Um, but the, what I find Martin is because it comes very gradually, it's often quite hard for women to identify. Is this mm. what I'm dealing with? Or am I just feeling a bit low? Or am I just feeling a bit uncertain because the world is changing around me and I just feel a little bit ill-equipped? So I think there's a number of women at the moment, particularly in the Christian community, particularly in youth ministry, who are talking about being a youth minister, not simply as a 19-year-old or in your 30s when maybe you had other jobs as well or you were a full-time youth worker. And what does it feel like to lead as a woman in, a, in a, an environment where often it's men? But now what does it feel like to lead when you might be, so, I'm going to get very granular now, you might be supporting particularly teenage girls who are going through their first periods, first menstruation, and you are going through a time in your life where that's coming to an end mm. and you're facing a different kind of relationship with your body. And 
Whereas girls fear suddenly being looked at, actually. They mm. fear their bodies changing and now men or others looking at their bodies differently. I think for women, we fear invisibility. We mm. fear that as we get older, we'll be more invisible in an environment mm. that really prioritizes youth and glorifies youth. So I think there's a lot of things there, plus the rage. I just feel like I'm like, so the other day I was like, okay, everybody in the house, if that's how you feel. And I, was, I never talk like that, I never, but I I could just feel like, oh, what is this? So I think at the it moment- It did sound a bit like you on the podcast. <laughs> So I, I, yeah, I think it's something that we, that is good to talk about because we were, there are stereotypes of men in leadership and women in leadership. And I think it's really important that we can talk about genuine stuff that's happening in our bodies, in our families, in our environments that will impact our leadership as well as climate injustice, yeah. gender ideology, you know, poverty, our families not coping with buying food. These things all come together. Can I ask, can I ask Rage? What would you want to say to men about this? You know, because I think you just talked about your fear of mm. uh, that actually invisibility and, and you know, is there other stuff that you might want to yes. say to us? Because I've never had this conversation yeah. with anyone. I think leadership is a precious calling. And I think what is the most helpful thing for me is the women and men who I really admire and are leading alongside me that we explore what this is together mm. so that that I that I would love younger women who I'm mentoring and supporting to see that I am talking about these things and and are talking to them about it and are talking to younger men and are talking to men I think just having conversations so that it, menopause doesn't become a little bit of an embarrassment mm. oh no it's women talking about their bodies and talking about their emotions and it's and and men fearing that maybe um this is something they can't ask questions about they can't talk about but I think there's a recognition that if you have women in your church in leadership who are in their late 40s, 50s, the chances are they are going through a menopause mm. and it won't be the same for every woman. But it could be that actually they are experiencing greater anxiety. They are experiencing a lot of sleep deprivation. They are struggling with maybe a range of emotionals that, that emotions are, are feeling a bit out of control. Mm. So be mindful of that and create space for these women to be able to talk about it. And it's not about absolving poor leadership. I don't want to be a poor leader because I can't manage my rage. I, that's my responsibility to deal with. My responsibility is to look after myself if I am in the menopause at the moment. But I would like to feel that those around me are aware this is an actual thing and not to brush it under the carpet or pretend that it's just, we'll wait for her to get through that stage, but to say, we want to honor that as a woman in her 50s, we recognize there could be something that your body's going through that is a God thing. Mm. And we want to honor you and your leadership, recognizing that you might be at the moment struggling to make sense of this. So how can we honor you and your leadership and make space well, for that? Thank you, Rachel, Was for being helpful? vulnerable and sharing that. I think there'll be some- I am so high for so long. <laughs> You're a bit hot now. But there'll be a lot of people <laughs> listening to that, either thinking, oh, thank goodness she's named that. That's yeah. my experience. Or like me going, oh, I had no idea. Yeah. And thank you for sharing it and being vulnerable. I think if if a if a guy in my life said, "What book could I read?" I I would be like, "Oh wow, this is great." He's recognizing that that is what what's what going is the on book? for me. Well, at the moment, I'm reading Cracking the Menopause, which is which is brilliant. Cracking the Menopause, Maria Frost trap, which is hilarious. So I think yeah, it's a great book at the moment. But, but once Menopause and the Order of God comes out, <sighs> by Rachel Gardner, I'll read that one. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so today's guest is not talking about the menopause. Let's not try and crowbar it in. <laughs> uh, but he's an absolutely brilliant brain mm. um, on looking after yourself and being wise about how you um, do leadership for the long haul. Uh, and so it's a real privilege to have him on the podcast, actually. He is one of the absolute best voices on this stuff. Um, and you had a chat with him. I did. Tell us a bit about it. Yes, yeah, so I caught up with a lovely friend, Will Vanderhaar. Um, and the thing about Will, I mean, get ready for this, people, because he he has so much gold to bring. And get your notepads out and your, and your pens, because not only does he unpack some of the stuff that that will make sense of why we're feeling overwhelmed with all that's going on, but he also is deeply practical. Like, what can we do to care for ourselves and to keep the calling of God as the the absolute sharp focus of why we do what we do? So this is when I caught up with Will Vanderhart. I'm so grateful that you've joined us at the end of this season where we've been looking at all these huge things on the horizon. But before we get stuck into some wisdom and advice from you, tell us a little bit about yourself. So where, where are you at the moment? What are you up to? Well, I'm um, currently in my dining room, but um, I'm working four days a week as the well-being chaplain to a church planting network uh, called the Revitalization Trust. Um, which I think connected to you on Jason's church as well. Yes. <laughs> um, and basically what I do is I look after the sort of T1, T2 leaders, so sort of senior leaders and associate leaders. Um, and my work has really been specialised over the years around emotional mental health. Um, I also run the Mind and Soul Foundation with Kate Middleton. Um, I'm an executive coach as well and work in quite a few companies and businesses uh, helping people effectively sustain pressure and also hopefully thrive under pressure too um, and I think God is the great psychologist so as whilst as I, I lean a lot on sort of secular psychology and wisdom I also see so much wisdom for wellness in in the scriptures as well and, and in prayer and worship so hopefully I bring a little bit of a combination of all those different things. You talk about um, us learning how to sustain pressure and you recently have written a book with Bear Grylls so how did you sustain the pressure of of that? I mean, did you did this book is amazing. I'd love you to tell us about it in a minute. But did you have to spend lots of time with him, like doing press ups and like licking the right tree frog and all that kind of stuff to prove your yeah. worth? <laughs> People always ask me the same about whether I've eaten any weird insects with Bear. Definitely not. Um, I was actually with Bear last week, um, having a very nice walk along the River Thames and just chatting. That sounds very through. boring. Um, yeah, it's, it's always exciting with Bear. So. Um, but yeah, no, we, we've been friends actually for quite a long time, for about 10 or 15 years, I think. Um, yeah, at least 10 at least ten years. And I've, I've been away with him coincidentally on a few holidays, but um, I've never been to any jungles with Bear. Oh, and wow. uh, well, I, I, I think he's an amazing guy. I mean, one of the best things about Bear that I think people don't necessarily expect is he really is exactly the same guy when you spend time with him as he's on screen. Obviously, he's not jumping around all the time, but... He's a person of real integrity, and uh, I've seen the way he treats people who want to come up for photographs or chat in shops. He just is so patient and really kind and welcoming all the time, and I just I really I, I admire that in oh, him. So yeah. uh, he's a really good guy. Yeah, so it was a real privilege to do that book, and we've got actually a new book that came out last week um, called Mind Fuel for Young Explorers, and that's really for the sort of 
8 to 15 year old age group so we've brought mind fuel into vision for, for young people and we've worked with some youth workers to help get that on track so yeah oh, it's been fun brilliant and guys do definitely get your hold of that i've seen a copy and it's absolutely brilliant so we're thinking about leaders and, you, and you're someone that hangs out with leaders t1 leaders bear girl kind of leaders and youth workers and i've known you for a long time will and i know that your love and care is across the board and you really understand what you're talking about when we talk about these big things on the horizon that as ministers and youth leaders we need to somehow navigate and also equip young people to face so from from your vantage point how are you seeing that leaders particularly in the church but beyond that how are leaders coping right now with what's going on Rachel the short answer is you know potentially not that well and part of the reason for that is that I don't think necessarily we've got much of a framework for how to deal with some of the things that we're experiencing but also because of the high level of emotion associated with many of the things that youth leaders are going through at the moment so you you think we're sort of hijacked sometimes by the magnitude of things sometimes by the lack of framework we have for the things that we're dealing with, as in they haven't been really resolved in our experience before, uh, and also partly by the investment of our emotions in what we're experiencing. So you, you experience a kind of emotional hijack as part of our response to these issues. And I'd say that powerlessness is a really key challenge facing many young leaders today and many youth workers today, because they can see elements of the kind of infrastructure of the church and of youth work having been challenged and potentially breaking down, and yet they feel absolutely powerless to change those situations. And I think when it comes to a broken spirit, often it's our powerlessness that leads then into cynicism and that leads into burnout and breakdown. So we begin to expect negative things and we begin to look at other people through a negative frame. All of that becomes really, really exhausting. So I think there are great challenges that are facing young leaders and youth leaders today. And I think we need to really address those and pretty quickly. I think that's the most incredible um, observation, Will, of, of what's going on. And as you were speaking, I was thinking, oh my goodness, yes, I that, that feels like panic. I experience that powerlessness as panic. And so my default was to try and then fix things. And that's not everybody's default. We all have a way of coping. So as we're recognising this, Will, what are you seeing are the kind of the postures within leaders that helps to either be a protective factor against kind of the panic button or the overwhelming fear of powerlessness? What, do, what, what are the postures that you're seeing that will really equip us to lead in such a time as this? Well, well, I think, I mean, the, the, the first posture is, again, around, to a degree around self-care, that what we have to do is think about how we can stay resilient in ourselves before we can begin to a- approach the kind of framework of life around us. I read a very interesting article in Boat Owners of America, which is a very niche magazine, you can imagine. Uh, and I was researching about you know, a, a really, why boats sink. And uh, the Boat Owners of America magazine had identified through a big study that 69% of all the boats that sank in America, of the boats that sank, so not every boat, but just the ones that sank, 69% of them sank while still tied to the dock. So if you think about, if you think about what your expectation is for when boats sink, we always think they're going to sink out at sea in a big storm with very big waves. Now that might be a way of describing some of the events that we think have happened in youth work or we know have happened in youth work over the last sort of five or six years. So great big waves and really big storms. So we think those waves are going to sink us. But the majority, nearly 70% of all the boats that sink, actually, they they sink tied to the dock. Now, they sink through inattention. So the, real, the, the reason those boats sink is because 
it rains regularly and little drops of rain begin to gradually fill up the boat and even the boat is secure and tied to the dock, it doesn't take that long, maybe a year of little drops of rain to fill that boat and that boat will then sink and it's never been in a storm. Uh, And I think one of the great dangers facing young leaders today is inattention to their own boat. So what we're doing is we're so so overwhelmed by the magnitude of the seismic events in the world around us that we are in a sort of adrenal mode and we are looking outwards the whole time thinking, how can I fix the youth work problem? How can I reach young people for Christ today? How can I deal with uh, a life where there is constant war and insurgency of different types and challenges of different types? How can I cope with these things? Um, But we've, we've really avoided or we've missed the very small issue of actually how we stop the rain gathering in our boat. And that's a massive problem. That's absolutely extraordinary. I, I remember um, another very powerful vi- visual image in one of your talks once, where, Will, where you talked about um, the number of people that get back to base camp when they climb, climb Mount, Mount Everest. Can you remember that one? Because I think people will be like, oh, my days, that I'm the boat in the dock that's not on the storm. But actually, I haven't been paying attention to the hull. Tell, tell us that stat about Mount Everest as well. So, so again, in the spirit of paying attention, um, this idea you know, is around, around responsibility. So I'm saying to, to, to the young leaders who are listening, if, you're, if your attention is on the big waves, but actually you're not in the big waves, or you might be looking on at the big waves, you have to retain a sort of dual attention to what you really care about outside of yourself and also yourself, who you're also called to care about. In the same way, uh, I think particularly maybe here in the UK, but within certain genres of the church, maybe the ones that I belong to, we, we are quite fixated around the idea of success. And again, this can be a reason why leaders are struggling. I, I'm speaking to business and some of the businesses at the moment I'm working in that are really struggling are businesses associated with commercial property. Now, that might sound very boring, but businesses who have been investing in commercial property for the last 30 years have been doing brilliantly. But suddenly, because of the market forces, investors in commercial property are really struggling. And what's really interesting is they've only ever known success. And suddenly these leaders are, are, are finding that they're not finding the same or experiencing the same success that they once were. So they're becoming terrified and they're suffering accordingly. If you think about a mountain, like an 8,000 meter mountain like Mount Everest, Most people focus on climbing that mountain, and that might represent success. So for youth leaders, they might think, I want to grow a youth ministry of 200 young people. That's success. They say, I'm training to climb up Everest, which seems to make sense. But Jordan Light, writing in the Scientific American, said that in a big study of climbers over 8,000 meters, he said of all the climbers who died on Everest and other 8,000 meter mountains, only 15% died on the way up. But 56% of the people who die on Everest and other 8,000-meter mountains died when they reached the summit and were climbing back down again. Now, I know the mathematicians are wondering where everyone else died because those numbers don't add up. They, they died in camp, and they were neither moving up nor down. Okay. But for people who were climbing up, 15% died. For the people who were climbing down and already summited, 56% died. So it would make, it would make so much more sense, wouldn't it, to say I'm training to climb down Everest because that's where the real risks are. And I think one of the massive challenges facing youth leaders today 
is that there has been a season of climbing up, of ascending, um, particularly over maybe the last 15 years or 20 years even. I remember sort of early days of some of the bigger festivals and thinking, wow, we are winning. You know, I mean, as far as winning is concerned, this is amazing. You know, young people coming to Jesus, flooding events. You know, it seemed like you couldn't have enough events and enough youth work, books and summits and whatever. So all super exciting. We're all busy summiting, but actually the real challenge is when you reach the, t- the, the, the top. That's when things start to go wrong. That's when we're at most at risk. And um, navigating the way down the mountain again mm-hmm. is, is probably a way of describing what many youth leaders are facing. When you're climbing up a mountain, you've got what's called four points of contact. You've got two feet that are on the mountain, and you've got two hands and maybe two ice axes to grip the mountain too. But when you're climbing down the mountain, you're facing away from the thing that you were climbing. Your back's to the hill. Mm. So your heels touch the mountain, but your hands are free. So we're far less stable. And I think many leaders will relate to that idea of feeling disconnected to their ministries, feeling like they aren't quite grounded anymore, that they have lost their orientation, and they're not sure what's, what the purpose mm. of their leadership is. Mm. But, but interestingly, Jesus' encouragement is that you know, we would inversely climb up the mountain to pray, mm. you know, that we would spend time with the Father. That was his retreat. It's kind of the opposite of the way I'm describing. But Jesus snuck out of the house um, in Simon Peter's mother's house when he'd completed a season of ministry to go and be alone with the Father and pray. You know, he knew what it was to retreat in mm. order to advance. And I think this is a real season where we need to learn to retreat mm. and pay attention if we're then going to advance with the kingdom of God in the next season. That's powerful stuff, Will. And I, um, I've i heard you speak about this a, a number of times. And I think every time I hear you speak, it gives kind of a, a landscape to what we're facing, not just why this is tough, but but why um, there needs to be a radical rethink of how we do leadership, of how we posture ourselves, of how, of how we see success. And if I think about the community listening to this, we we know that it's not about bums on sea. And yet we know there are thousands of young people in our parishes or in our communities who don't have, you know, access to safe adults or don't have a meaningful encounter with somebody who knows Jesus. And and so we do we want to always be on that front foot of a real mission drive without that being driven by a fear narrative or a panic narrative. I was listening on Radio 4. I'm so old now. I listen to Radio 4, but listening to a, a climate activists on Radio 4 very clearly saying no the way to live we are in a climate emergency so we you know we need to seek out those euphoric moments where we are arrested for interrupting Les Mis and getting chucked into the, the, the prison cell because actually in that moment of being chucked in the prison cell that's where you experience euphoric peace because you've done something and I listened to it Will thinking I, I actually really understand what he's talking about I understand that either that being motivated by a bigger cause than us and yet what you've picked up on is the peace that Jesus promises us comes from getting close to the Father. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? So, so, so how do we do this then? How do we pay attention to our boat? I'm, I'm a Gen Z, ask, a Gen X asking this. I don't do self-care. I do grit, head down grit. So, so how do we do this? How do we pay attention? Well, I think you, you make a really important point that, that humans are instinctively driven to action in the face of challenge. We, we feel so much better doing something than doing nothing. 
Um, and I think climate activism is a really great example that we see changes in our climate. And obviously, we're concerned about what those mean and where they've orientated themselves from. And the feeling of doing something feels far better than the feeling of not doing something. And yet, this principal idea that we, we must do something in itself is a fallacy. Um, obviously, there's benign things that we must do, like reduce our carbon emissions. But um, stopping a West End performance by, by climbing on the stage doesn't actually, it might make us feel like we're doing something, but it's not actually addressing the issue that we're facing. And unfortunately, um, this is a kind of natural element of human psychology. One of my favorite psychologists, Hans Selle, talks about the three universal stages of coping with a stressor. And this is a kind of very uniform psychological outworking. We have what's called the initial alarm response. We, we notice something that's wrong. Then we have what's called resistance to stressor, where we begin to try and do something to stop what it is that's upsetting us. And then the third final stage is burnout and exhaustion. Now, the way our adrenal systems have been created is that we work in that system, one, two, three. We notice the threat, we respond to the threat, and then we're exhausted by the threat. Actually, resisting a stressor is not actually the way in which we can be victorious as Christians. You know, the Christian life is not about resistance to stressor. The Christian life is around a countenance of peace, knowing that Christ has really made a way. Um, and actually, this idea of um, activism in itself is often misguided because it fulfills a narrative in ourselves that we are doing something and the assumption that doing something is better than doing nothing. The only thing that's really worth doing is praying. You know, we're, we're, in the scheme of these meta events, only really God can change the world. I mean, obviously we can play our part, but it's really prayer that changes life and changes the world. And I think there's a danger of a kind of what we call grandiosity, a sort of sense of superhero outworking that, that comes upon us. And, and that is, it is a risk in the digital world that when our voices are amplified beyond their reality, that we lose ourselves in a kind of um, a dynamic activism, which leaves us exhausted, championing, you know, things that we maybe aren't even aware of how to change, mm. but somehow becoming a voice piece of something because by saying something, we're doing something. And and I, it's a, very, it's a very fine line and I want everyone to feel liberated to fight for the causes that they believe are important. But let's fight smart. <laughs> let's not just be driven by our fear. Mm. Let's be driven by faith and calling. I, I don't really like the word driven. It actually doesn't exist in the Bible apart from an association with evil spirits and with temple traders. Mm. I like the word calling. I believe Jesus calls us into the room and that Jesus is already in the room that he's calling us into. So what I'm interested in is really helping leaders to hear what God is saying in terms of which rooms are they called into. Because frankly, this week I could have been activated to be driven, if you like, into action in a thousand different causes, all of, all of which would have been fruitless and all of which would have left me feeling exhausted and burnt out. What I need to know is where is the Lord calling me mm. into? Which room is he inviting me into right now? And for the for youth workers and young leaders, I would encourage that, you know, for that to be your prayer. 
Because when God and man act together in what we call corporeal action, kingdom events happen, real mm-hmm. things happen. You know, when, when God called uh, William Wilberforce to address issues of slavery, the slave trade effectively ended in this country because one man with the power of God at his side could, could, could un, you know, undo something which seemed unbreakable. Mm. Um, what is your William Wilberforce moment? What is God calling you into? But don't do a William Wilberforce moment if it's not what God is saying. Yeah. Because doing anything in your own strength won't have an effective outcome. Mm. So that that's a kind of maybe a little challenge, but, you know, to think what is, how am I responding adrenally right yeah. now versus how am I responding to the calling of God? And God might just be asking you to go after one or two young people in his name, see them safe and supported. And it, it might be that's your ministry for this next year. Mm. And it might have nothing to do with 200 young people being in your church. I think challenge massively accepted. I love that that beautiful challenge of listening to the call of God on your life. What's God calling you to? I guess for us to be able to really wholeheartedly embrace that, we need time and space to listen, don't we? Not to the voices of social media and the latest cause. Although, as you say, there are times that we are asked to get involved and act. Um, but so I, I guess what would be your kind of like little starter for 10, Will? How, if for those of us listening, thinking, yeah, we want to pay a bit more attention. There are some big things on the horizon. I do want to be well equipped to serve young people well. I want to be aware of what's going on. But I'm, I'm mindful that actually um, listening to the call of God on my heart and my life is really key. What would be some very practical things that, that we as leaders could do? Well, I think one of the challenges that many leaders face is that it's a very boom or bust economy. They think either I'm going on a sort of two-week silent prayer retreat at Lindisfarne <laughs> or I'm in the hustle and bustle of the city centre doing youth work as I know it. Mm. And and I really, I you know, I, I coach some very senior executives who just haven't got time to do whatever it is that, you know, they're doing, um, let alone adding anything into that mix. And I, I, I think it's very important we get away from a disintegrated model of, of, of spirituality in the modern world. And I like to think about each day as an opportunity spiritually. So if you think about, um, for example, the introduction of what are called micro breaks, not macro changes. So this is the idea of thinking about how we can actually incorporate tiny prayer breaks and breath breaks into our day and you know our day I think should be punctuated by prayer more than dominated by prayer now some people might disagree with that they might think our day should be dominated by prayer but normally I find those people are just naturally gifted and lean towards prayer so I would say imagine your day is going to be punctuated by five moments of prayer those prayers might be 30 seconds long but think about how revolutionary that will be to your prayer life if every day that you're working, you're asking God mm. into a moment five times in your day. Um, so think about that over the course of, you know, a 10-hour day. Every other hour, you're going to be praying, God, you know, what are you saying? Like, mm. meet me in this moment. I want to be, I want to hear your call. It's really important as well that we we, we address that issue of micro breaks just, just with regard to our health and well-being. Take a moment away from your computer, away from your phone, leave it on your desk and walk around the block and come back. Mm. The reality is we overestimate the importance of time and we underestimate the importance of connection. You know, we, we, we think we haven't got time to spare 
And actually what we haven't really got is connection to spare. Mm -hmm. As soon as we become unhinged from God and from one another, then we've just become unhinged. So that just make that your micro break priority. I think the second activity I think is around pairing the um, marginal activities of your day with the high pressure moments. So we think about, um, you know, our commute uh, drive. You just described your drive to Luton from from Preston. Mm. And, um, you know, we can either sort of work all the time in substandard ways or we can find quality activities to do Mm. whilst we're doing transitional activities. Mm. So when I travel here in London on the Tube, I see all these commuters desperately trying to fire off a few final emails in their day before they get home. Now, I can tell you two things about those emails. One is half of them don't send because the network on the Tube is pretty terrible. And the other thing is actually writing an email on your phone at the end of the day is probably an email you're going to regret. So the quality of the work that they're doing is substandard. But they could actually be listening to Vival for these four seasons. They could, they could be listening to a famous podcast or a fabulous meditation, or they could be listening to scripture read to them by David Suchet, mm. or whatever it is. But if you pair positive activities to your transitional time, you'll receive great benefit every day, mm. and you'll find that you actually do better. Mm. But, but don't invest in the news feeds or in bits of work or reading around terrible things that have happened because that won't assist you at all. Mm. So that's really, really important. And I think the third and final thing I'd say in terms of making the change is that, as Peter Fornagay said, adversity turns into trauma when the mind experiences itself in isolation. If we want to avoid being traumatized by what we're experiencing in the world at the moment, we have to live life in deeper community. And actually being a youth worker on your own anymore is, is a luxury you can't afford. Mm. You need to be a youth worker together. Now, of course, not many, not many churches can afford a youth worker, let alone more than one youth worker. But you've got to forge your own networks of people who let you do the difficult, adverse things of life with others. Otherwise, you will suffer significantly from burnout and exhaustion. I want to encourage you to think about how you can do life you know, in an untraumatized way, which means doing it in experience with other people around you. Well, every time I speak to you, I, I just feel like it is this lovely, just this golden oil that just comes down. You're just so rich in what you say to us. And, and I know that I'm not the only person just inhaling what you're saying as really life bringing. Some folks might have heard you before, might have accessed the website and the events that you guys do at Mind and Soul and access your books. And so there's many, many ways, guys, that you can listen to more of Will and the stuff that he says. But you've mentioned being, um, you know, you have a, a role which is about um, wellness of leaders within a certain network. And I guess most denominations will have somebody who is some kind of pastoral care or wellness. So if someone's listening to this thinking, do you know, I never knew that actually I could think differently about this stuff. I never knew that that somebody would care about my emotional well-being. I'm a volunteer youth worker. No one cares about my emotional well-being. What would be some very practical things that someone could do to build this network to access some really good wisdom? Well, Rachel, you know, always the challenge facing most leaders today is around funding of care. So unfortunately, the more the sort of model contracts and the more um, the ministry is diminished in visual terms, the, the more struggle there is to gain funding. So, you know, what, what a lot of youth, youth leaders are finding is, you know, if you've got a really growing ministry, everyone wants to throw money behind it and go, oh, fantastic, you know, let's, let's support this. 
if you feel like your ministry is getting smaller numerically, it's very hard to get the financial support to just maintain that ministry, let alone to then think about what other people would think would be peripheral to that ministry. And I don't think that's peripheral at all. I think it's central. But but one of the great challenges is how do I get funding for the support that I need? Now, I'd say if you are a senior youth pastor, a youth worker in a significant church, you know, which is well-funded, you might find that there is access to coaching or pastoral support provided by the church itself. If you're a diocesan youth worker, there's definitely some bishops funding available so you can get some counselling or coaching work normally on a short contract, so maybe six sessions. Anyone here who's listening who thinks, I just think I'm emotionally unwell or I'm struggling with my mental health, you, you just need to go to your GP and talk through what it is you're experiencing. And you should be able to access normally 10 sessions of cognitive behavioural therapy if the doctor deems your circumstances are challenging enough to meet the appropriate threshold. So there are, there are ways of us receiving kind of direct support. As you mentioned, there are obviously a number of books and podcasts which we can access normally for little or no cost, which can really help us on a journey. Um, and there are some digital resources like the Mind Soul Foundation, which I belong to. There's Sanctuary, there's a Renew, there's Kintsugi Hope and others that provide various different tools and, 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 and pieces of reading for you to get support. One of the ways in which I get support, which people might find surprising, is I often buddy up with other people and say, hey, let's do some peer supervision. So I've got a friend called Will, also called Will, which is a bit confusing. <laughs> and me and Will, James, he's another coach and he's a Christian leader. We, we're, doing, we're just starting a new season of peer supervision together. So we'll meet. We meet for one hour. I talk for 20 minutes and he listens. He talks for 20 minutes and I listen. And then we spend 20 minutes talking about what we've heard, and then spending a moment praying for one another. Now, I would say any youth worker on this call can initiate peer supervision, find a youth worker from another church, and book in a meeting with a coffee once a month for a peer supervision session. You just make sure you stick to your 202020, and you will have a really great way of downloading. Make sure you're confidential, obviously, Safeguarding parameters are all identified, but make sure you're confidential to one another and uh, you will you'll find that hugely beneficial. And, and you both win, but you must make sure it doesn't just turn into a coffee party. You know, <laughs> do actually do Beautiful. your 20 minutes talking about what's been good and what's been really hard, difficult relationships, difficult challenges, and then share the opportunity with the other person. And it's much better to do this outside of your immediate ministry setting. So there's no crossovers in terms of who knows who or complex relationships in the dynamic within the church you're working mm. for. So that's something everyone can do and it can really help mm. and it's free. Brilliant. Peer supervision, stick that in your schedule. So last question then, Will. This is the end of our season and and we've on this season we've we've looked at some massive things, you know, the things that are besetting youth ministry at the moment or disappointments within the youth ministry community and stuff we've got to face. You've been around leaders for a very, very long time. You are yourself an ordained church leader. You're married to an ordained church leader and, and the life of Christ dwells richly in you, Will. So why are you still investing? in the church like why are you still backing Christians in leadership like what gives you hope as we face all these big things that we're facing which a lot of the work that I do is around reframing success 
And I've got to be honest, I think we have a really broken model of success. And I think part of the reason we've had so many disappointments in the church over the last 30 years is because we've been focusing on success, not on character. And you know what, I really, you know, when I set out in ministry, I was ordained in 2004, I joined the church in 2001. You know, my, my success mandate was that I'd love Jesus as much when I'm 83 as when I was 23. And that's success for me, that ultimately I'll land and love the Lord. And, you know, I really want to enter the kingdom of God. And I want God to say, hey, you've been faithful. Thank you. That's, you've done your job. That's different to saying, hey, you've been really successful. Um, I guess I don't really care whether I get a, a, a kind of tent at the end of the garden of St. Peter or whether <laughs> I have a little shed at the bottom of John's garden or whether I've got a mansion of my own. I don't, I don't mind. All, all I mind is that I get into the kingdom of heaven and in my experience, that just is entirely dependent on a love-based relationship mm-hmm. with Jesus. And, you know, I've done lots of different leadership roles over the time. But I think having the right, having the most important thing in mind is the thing that keeps you going over the long haul. You know, there's so many things that can thwart us, but nothing thwarts us more than our own disappointment, mm-hmm. more than our own broken expectations. And, and my, my frame for success is not breakable. You know, I don't, like no one can... No one can take away my love for Jesus. Um, no, no disappointment in a leader can take away my love from Jesus. Yeah. No disappointment in a ministry can take away from my love for Jesus. No, no struggle in the church can take away my love for Jesus. Yeah. So if you make your success story impenetrable, you can keep on succeeding. Like I know I can unlock my own disciplines, my disciplines of prayer and my disciplines of ministry and my disciplines of compassion and connection. So Ultimately, I've got to keep on trucking with the thing I think God has called me to do. And I, I love the church, but I, I care more about Jesus Christ. And I want to keep it that way. I want to keep my priorities right. Mm-hmm. And I see the church over history having fluctuated, you know, from, from travesty to triumph. And always remember that John Newton was the only evangelical curate in the whole of the Church of England. Uh, and a curate in Liverpool, he had a pretty shady record of being a slave trader <laughs> oh, gosh, and all yes. sorts of other miserable things. Yes, yes. But, but from him came a revolution in the church and came the end of slavery mm. and came really Methodism as we know it and, and a revival across the UK. I think about being a pastor in a small church in, the, you know, in, in Newton's period, just sort of thinking, what hope is there for the church today? But look at the church that came, mm. you know, look at the church that rose up. Yeah. And so in our lifetime, maybe it will all be disappointment. But who knows what my son and my my son's lifetime will bring. Yes. And who knows what the Lord will do through his church in the next season. Um, I'm going to stay passionate because I just want to make loving Jesus my priority.
I loved having that conversation with Will. And it, it got me thinking afterwards, Martin, about one of the bits of research that we've done at Youthscape, mm. uh, looking at <clears throat> the spiritual practices of youth workers mm. and how there's a direct correlation between what we prioritise as youth leaders' yes. practices and what we make space or prioritise in our discipleship with young people. I can't remember where contemplative prayer... Sabbath rest. I can't remember how high that scored mm. for youth leaders, but there was definitely a correlation between that and then encouraging young people to have those habits. Yes. So what? Well, it's definitely true that yeah. you, you, what you are um, taking in for yourself is tend, tends to be what you give out to young people. Hundred percent. How have you seen that in your own practices mm. with young people? Because I, I think if you're an employed worker, your day off is a day that young people do not see you. Yeah. Do they know that that day is actually a Sabbath day as opposed to oh we just haven't got any clubs this week? Like I wonder, I wonder how yeah. upfront we are with young people about our Sabbaths and what oh. that looks like. Well, there's a there's a separate question which is how honest should we be with young people about how much we're struggling and feeling overwhelmed and i and honestly i think that while it is really good and appropriate to let young people see that we're human they're already dealing with quite a lot of overwhelm and anxiety they don't really need to see that we're struggling too to the point that they can't look up to us and mm. trust us so i think mm. one of the challenges in covid was young people struggled massively because we weren't being the anchor in their lives that they yes. needed yeah. they were they were like what's going on and we were like we don't know yeah. Um, and they didn't need that. They actually needed us to say, this is what's going on. Yeah. It's tough, but this is what's going on. And I think that's true all year round. Um, but the the other question about, um, you know, how, how, how it's looked in my life, I about four or five years ago went through a complete revolution in my relationship with scripture. And I had always read the Bible, but I've read it a bit sporadically. I'd done some, I've, I've talked about this on the podcast before. I did, um, you know, Bible like in a year a couple it. of yeah, times. I did yeah. lecture, I did all these things and it was fine, but it didn't, it didn't quite unlock anything in me. And then I found a rhythm that worked that became a daily, a daily commitment that I've mainly kept going over the last five years of reading and journaling scripture, mm. which T it turns out because I'm wired that way as someone who writes a lot, I loved unpacking scripture through through writing. And so it became something that I became passionate about. But then what that did was it completely transformed my passion for telling young people about the Bible and helping them to un unlock it, not getting them to do the same thing. Mm. Um, now, it, that was completely transformational in terms of I would have always said, I've always said the Bible's important. I've always said to yeah. young people, read the Bible. Make yeah. sure you make time to read the Bible. Now I really believe that if you make daily time to read and and make notes on scripture and really get to grips with what God might be trying to say through a particular um, passage, um, it will completely transform your day. It will set you up for the day ahead. It will completely make sense of your life in different ways. Yeah. I believe that in a completely different way now. And so when I talk to young people, Surprise, surprise, that now comes across. And so there's way more uh, energy and passion and truth yes. when I'm sharing that. And I think that's true of all kind of spiritual practices and disciplines. If you're talking about it, young people are incredible. They've got an incredible sense of smell, haven't they, young people, for authenticity. <laughs> that's and if a you're, great way If you're it. talking about, you know, uh, I don't know, fasting or something, but you're clearly not doing it. Yeah. You know, you're talking about prayer, but you're not a person of prayer. It's, it's not really about them seeing you do it. I think it's the 
um, the authenticity that only comes from actually from genuinely actually doing, doing it. it. So uh, I met up with a lovely youth worker in Blackburn and um, it was one of the first times I met with him. He met in a coffee shop in Blackburn. We only have that one. Right. <laughs> and this was nice bacon butties. I was so hungry. So I was like, Andy, Andy, I'll, I'll buy this. Do you want a coffee? No, I want a glass of water. Oh, Andy, have a coffee. I can, I'll buy it. No, I just want a glass of water. I was like, Andy, we're meeting in a coffee shop. Um, and they do bacon butties. Like, do you want a bacon butt? No, no. And, and, Bless him, he was fasting and had forgot to tell me. Oh. And then I was like, oh, Andy, I've started talking about, like, I really want a bacon butty now. And I know that you're fasting. So not only was he fasting and had to watch me drink a coffee, but I really wanted a bacon butty. And I was like, wow. so bad. Did you it's, eat it in front of I, him? I actually ate it right in front of him. Wow. Terrible. Well, that will have helped him in his spiritual that journey. Massively. That'll help him to remember next time to tell me he's fasting ahead of time. But no, I think you're absolutely right. I think I think these, and I'm always really impressed how many young youth leaders I meet who actually do have a real rhythm of mm. fasting and of prayer and of Sabbath. And I think that's... You're absolutely right. You see the impact of that in their mm. lives, in their leadership. And that's what we want young people to be experiencing. And I have often wondered having a Sabbath day with young people, because I do think that that in communities where parents and households are working two or three jobs, there isn't time off. They don't have family mm. days. Mm. So what would it look like for our church youth ministry to have practices where young people are invited mm. to that? So there's lots to think about there. Loved it. And I'm, I'm because in many ways, this might feel lovely, listener, as if it's the end of the season. Oh, no. But we have one more. Yeah, one more to go. So next week, uh, it's the, it, we've been building up to this. We've trailed this a little bit, but I'll tell As you right now, it's, uh, it's Hope with Dr. Paula, Paula Gooder. Gooder. See you then. difficult to work in harmony I mean that is a metaphor for church isn't it yeah we have different is it? needs oh, oh no, okay. actually let's start again